The show is recorded and produced by me, Bill Humphrey, in Newton, Massachusetts. Our theme music is produced by Stuntbird. Follow us on Facebook or at AFD Radio on Twitter. The show is not affiliated with any campaign committee, and each participant's opinions are their own. This man is your land. This man is my land. California. New York Island. The Redwood Forest. Gulf Stream Waters. This man was made you and me. You're listening to Arsenal for Democracy, episode 471, recorded on Sunday, May 28th, 2023. I'm your host, Bill Humphrey. Joining me on the line from Idaho, as always, is Rachel. Hello, Rachel. Hi, Bill. Before we get started, there's going to be some announcements about the show for this summer, uh, but we're going to leave that to the end of the episode. Uh, This is a pretty short episode, a mini episode, uh, but we're going to talk about the topic itself first in case you're just tuning in for that. And then if you're a longtime listener and you want to know what the plan is for this summer, stick around and we'll get into that. So this week, we're back at it again with another U.S. industrial consumer product with origins in a major defense contract. This time, it's the Hobart KitchenAid Stand Mixer. Hobart Electric Manufacturing Company, dating to 1897, just made electric motors generically, but they wanted more sales. So they started motorizing traditionally manual kitchen appliances like coffee mills and meat grinders. In 1913, they reorganized as the Hobart Manufacturing Company. The next year, a company engineer decided to try to motorize a stand mixer, although initially this innovation was intended for baking bread at the scale of a bakery operation rather than for home use. The first versions were quite massive and could handle a lot of dough. So according to a 2019 article in the Smithsonian Magazine, and as always, all our sources will be linked in the show notes, quote, that legendary stand mixer got its start in 1908 when Herbert Johnston, a Hobart engineer and one of the company's founders, was watching a baker mixing dough by hand and believed there was a better way to mechanically perform that tiresome task. His creation, which received U.S. patent number 1,264,128, on April 23, 1918, was labeled simply as a mixing machine. He shared credit for the invention with Thomas F. Ratizak. One of the innovative features of the mixer was its ability to move the bowls up for mixing and down to add ingredients or to remove the mixed medium. The patent describes how it adjusts, quote, for the mounting of bowls of different size and for the hydraulic raising and lowering of the bowl supports, end quote, which was quite handy when the bowl was full of dough. Hobart introduced the H model in 1914. Its 80-quart bowl was a hit with commercial bakeries because it had the capacity to mix, fold, and beat large quantities of batter and dough. The U.S. Navy ordered Hobart stand mixers for three of its recent or under-construction ships to help with onboard bread production. Obviously, a lot of sailors, you got to make a lot of bread for them on a regular basis. With the entry of the U.S. into World War I in 1917, the U.S. Navy decided to order enough Hobart stand mixers to make them standard on every active ship in the Navy. This was such a huge contract that it jump-started Hobart's production capacity enough to mass-produce a home version of the electric stand mixer. In 1919, after the war, Hobart organized the motorized kitchen products line into the now-iconic brand KitchenAid, Reportedly, the name came from the glowing review of a company executive's wife when trying out a prototype of the home version of the Hobart stand mixer. 
I don't care what you call it, but I know it's the best KitchenAid I've ever had. As we discussed in episode 422 on rural electrification, as the 1920s began, small American farms were beginning to invest in wind-powered electrical chargers for home appliances, which could make life easier and less manually intensive. Hobart, seeing this trend, initially focused on marketing their new stand mixer to farm kitchens to make life easier. They also sold mixers to commercial kitchens and soda shops for the fountains. But even smaller and lighter home models followed within a few years. By the end of the 1920s, the home models were a quarter of the capacity of the 1918 design. Sales were mostly made by women going door-to-door because retailers were uninterested. Given that the sale price per unit was nearly $200 in 1922, or well over $3,000 in 2023 dollars, it is our assumption that these machines were sold on the increasingly popular consumer product financing system of regular payment plans, which we've discussed in our episodes on the Singer sewing machines and on consumer finance in the General Motors auto loans era. However, it might be that this price was the one quoted to businesses for the non-consumer models. As the 1930s began, KitchenAid's competition emerged in the form of the Sunbeam Mixmaster, which had two interlocking detachable mixing blades and various accessory options. Sunbeam had also started back in 1897 as Chicago Flexible Shaft Company, which made horse trimming and sheep shearing machinery, before transitioning similarly into kitchen appliance development and adopting the Sunbeam branding in 1910. KitchenAid struggled well into the 1930s to figure out how to compete with Sunbeam's appealing design aesthetic for the home consumer market because they had never really updated the industrial functional look dating back to the 1914 design, which was never meant for home users. According to the Smithsonian Magazine article, quote, KitchenAid brought in industrial designer and commercial artist Egmont Ahrens to develop a series of low-cost mixers. In 1937, he created the streamlined K model, which has become the standard for the brand. Featuring sleek lines and enameled surfaces, this more modern take on the mixer was instantly popular and helped KitchenAid to eventually take the top spot in sales. Brian Maynard, a KitchenAid marketing director, said it best in 2007, quote, The first mixer was actually introduced in 1919, but it was Aaron's 1937 model K design that really captivated consumers. And while its core following is among those who love to cook and bake, our research tells us that many less avid cooks simply want one on their countertop, largely because they like its design, end quote. The design proved so successful, KitchenAid actually used a silhouette of the mixer's shape as part of its logo. That image was trademarked with the U.S. Patent and Trademark Office. And in 1997, the mixer was named an icon of American design by the San Francisco Museum of Modern Art. Perhaps the most famous KitchenAid stand mixer in the world was the one used on the set of Julia Child's show, The French Chef, which premiered in 1963. That kitchen set, including a stand mixer, is now on display at the Smithsonian National Museum of American History since 2001. The mixer is visible on a countertop. However, it is unclear whether or not this is her original mixer that she used for decades. KitchenAid claims to have the original on display at their facilities and that they sent her a replacement in 1999, which is the one at the Smithsonian. This did not, however, match the account given by the Smithsonian. The KitchenAid brand line has been owned since 1986 by multinational appliance giant Whirlpool, based in Michigan. 
The stand mixers and other related kitchen products are still manufactured in Greenville, Ohio, as they have been since 1946. You can actually sign up for factory tours and cooking classes there. And Hobart, divested of KitchenAid for nearly four decades, still exists separately as a subsidiary of Illinois Tool Works, but focuses more on its preceding area of expertise, behind-the-scenes industrial machinery involved in the food and grocery industry. The Martha Stewart website explains the enduring functional and aesthetic appeal of the KitchenAid stand mixer as follows. Quote, the unique planetary action of the beater with two orbital directions provides a fold-over motion rather than just fast stirring. A variety of attachments have been added over the decades, often following food trends or regional preferences. Those who are vegetarian or gluten-free may especially appreciate the spiralizer. Beefy types might enjoy the meat grinder for homemade sausage. Bakers who want precise metric measurements will like the sifter scale. But any of the 14 attachments that you buy for a brand new KitchenAid will fit into the same hub as your grandmother's model, and the same locking mechanism will accommodate the traditional stainless steel or glass bowl, and can even fit one of the new decorative ceramic bowls. They're titanium reinforced and fired at high temperatures to withstand staining even if you're using beets. Colors on the outside of the mixer, were introduced in 1955, and there are now more than 40, from mid-century sunny yellow and petal pink to passion red for the centennial. The colors are chosen to have a friendly quality, nothing too high-tech or faddish. The pop of color and pedigree have made the mixer a kitchen status symbol, often accorded valuable counter space, even in small apartments, rather than hidden away in a cabinet. And even though it's pretty, it's a workhorse. Throughout its history, the KitchenAid has proven to be a piece of culinary equipment so reliable that it practically comes with a guarantee. Only good things will come out of this mixer, end quote. Rachel, was there anything that you found particularly interesting about this topic as we were researching it? Well, it I'm kind of surprised that it doesn't actually come with a guarantee because it does, uh, they do provide uh, replaceable parts and uh belts and gears and such. Uh, and it's interesting about its history as a bread mixer because I did actually uh, break apart in my mixer trying to um, mix a vast quantity of, of bread dough. And it was a little too much for the motor. Um, but there is kind of a fail-safe gear that will prevent... It will fail before the motor burns out. So it's there to, to kind of... Uh, give you a stopgap so you don't actually burn your motor out. Um, so it is kind of nice that the, the fact that they provide these replacement parts and pieces. So you are allowed to repair them um, and keep using them for a long time. Um, so it's it it kind of predates the the planned obsolescence uh, stage of of home appliances and. Um, it's a really, it is a workhorse. It is a workhorse piece of equipment. And I do have one in my own home and I do have it in a nice classic red. So it's not too faddish and it looks really good in my kitchen. So that's, that. it was chosen for the aesthetic and for its, its good mixing abilities. Now, do you think that you would have been better served in that dough project had you had one that was the size to go on a World War One battleship bakery? In the U.S. Yes. Navy. <laughs> yes, I wasn't quite making 80 quarts of dough, but I was making a pretty good, uh, a good amount of dough. So <laughs> it's hard to even like fathom an 80 quart uh, bread mixer dough, like bowl. So it's, 
I, I kind of want to see one in person so I can see just uh, how big it is compared to the at-home version. Well, our boys were very hungry. <laughs> um, I think your point also gets to something, which is that in a lot of ways, this company and this line of stand mixers, there's been some changes, but they're relatively conservative changes. And they have been adaptable, but also there's a continuity there. And it kind of charts this transformation in American life over the period of the last hundred and change years. As you have this urbanization happening, more people, you know, making stuff on their own in their apartments, but also you have this transformation happening in rural life and farm life. You have standardization happening in the military, all these different trends that are happening in American life and all the things that happened in the post-war period around kitchen appliances, of course, these all are demonstrated through the evolution of this line of products. Yeah, I I didn't actually know that um, the attachments are compatible with older models because that seems like something that most modern companies would get rid of, um, that kind of backwards compatibility. So it's it's very interesting that if I buy an attachment now, I could fit it into the same hub as like a vintage model from like my grandmother's era. So that's, that's a very interesting, um, like corporate choice to make to kind of, uh, kind of nod to that continuity and that passing of, of attachments or mixers down through the generations and still have them work, um, as new. So that's, that's, that's really fascinating. And I, and I admire that choice. Yeah, I'm sure there's been, uh, if we looked uh, around, I'm sure we could find some examples of particularly bitter uh, estate uh, disputes in the courts uh, over who was going to get, you know, great grandma's stand mixer or something mm-hmm. like that. Uh, all right. Well, we'll leave our KitchenAid topic there. Before we wrap up this week, we did want to uh, talk about the plan for this summer. So without getting into like, too many details. There's been kind of a lot going on behind the scenes unrelated to the show. And it became apparent to us that we were going to need to uh, take a break and sort of reset, recalibrate. We obviously want to not be uh, unhappy with making the show for all of you each week. So we needed to take some longer period of time off. I think that there are still quite a few episodes that we never unlocked from the Patreon from 2021. Uh, So I think I will be releasing more of those over the course of this summer, over the course of the next three months, June, July, and August of 2023. And a lot of those episodes were really fantastic. And if you didn't get a chance to listen to them because you weren't a Patreon subscriber, this will be your opportunity. Uh, And so I will try to keep that going um, and might do a few other things not on a regularly scheduled basis to sort of help get the fantastic history episodes out there that we've done. Uh, But we did decide uh, that we were going to pause the Patreon contributions uh, for this summer and try to figure out what's next. We're not completely sure yet. It is an election season for me that starts up in May. I I don't know how that's going to play out this year. Um, Those are every two years for me. And it can be kind of challenging to keep the show going on the regular schedule when that stuff is happening anyway. So we just kind of made the decision. uh, We didn't have an episode last week, as you probably noticed, but we made the decision that we needed to take a little bit of time off to kind of figure out what was next. So we'll let you know as we figure that out in the fall. 
there's tons and tons of topics still left in our planner list. So it wasn't a question of like that we had run out of things to talk about, but we just needed to kind of reset and take a break and we'll figure out. We also definitely have been talking about that limited series run podcast things, including on history topics. You know, it's not just that they're trendy uh, in some senses, but that they're also interesting to us as listeners. And we have done some mini series stuff within this format of the show. So we might do something along those lines as more of a focus. We're not really sure. So we're going to kind of take the summer, think about it, have that breathing space where we're not trying to deliver a new episode hot off the stove for you every single Sunday, because that doesn't really give us the space to think creatively about what we want to do next. Uh, And we really appreciate all of the loyal support and listeners that we've had. It is also, I will acknowledge, definitely harder with everything that's been going on with Twitter and other social media things. The level of feedback that we used to get on episodes is not the level of feedback that we get now, even if you're still listening. Um, Sometimes the only feedback that I get uh, these days is by someone actually texting my personal phone number if they have it saying, hey, I liked this episode that you did. That's always appreciated, but it definitely made it harder to know, not that we were ever really catering to like what the masses wanted or anything like that, but just that it was nice to have that kind of note of, hey, people liked this particular one that we did, or we weren't sure what people were going to make of this episode, but they got something out of it. That was kind of cool. That has pretty much gone away um, in the current uh, era of social media. And we're trying to sort of recalibrate our understanding of how to navigate that and get feedback or whether that's even an important part of the process or not, because maybe it isn't. And maybe, you know, you'll like what we put out there because it's us doing it and it's exciting uh, to us and therefore will be exciting to you. But all in all, With the current format of the show, there's now been more than 160 episodes from April 2020 through May 2023. Plus, there were some precursor episodes in a similar format in the summer of 2019, four years ago. So we've been doing this continuously now uh, with very little break for three years. And uh, it it kind of flew by in some ways, so it didn't feel like that to us. And we certainly uh, think that you all stayed pretty engaged with what we were putting out there. But uh, eventually it caught up with us a little bit and we started uh, just feeling like we needed a little bit of time. So, Rachel, I don't know if you had any additional comments on that, but we did want to just let the listeners know that that was kind of the plan for the summer and that we're not exactly sure what's coming uh, after that. Um, and, but we'll definitely let people know. Yeah, I think you've articulated most of my main points, just that we I feel like we need to recharge the our creative batteries. And I think the best way to do that is to take a break and, and get some rest. And I think at that point, we can start thinking more creatively. Um, I, I know we've been discussing making some changes um, to our name and our format, and we can't really focus on making those needed changes until until we can rest up and and really have some have a chance to relax and and get those like meditative shower creative thoughts or or whatnot. So I think I think this will be the best thing for the show. Um, and then we can come back refreshed and and make some really good shows for you guys. Yeah, and like you said, it's hard to do or contemplate, let alone implement any potential rebranding or format adjustments, even relatively small ones if we're having to 
hit a weekly deliverable every single week with no real break in between. So it just kind of got a little bit overwhelming to think about long-term what we wanted to do and keep delivering the show each week. Like I said, there's still tons of stuff in the planner that we could talk about. So that's definitely a possibility. Um, but we needed a little bit more space to think about it and get creative with it. Um, and we appreciate you sticking with the show, uh, over the years and the various format changes and everything else. Um, I have now been podcasting almost continuously with a few breaks of, you know, maybe a year or so here and there, or, or parts of a year, uh, since 20, the spring of 2010. Um, and it, it did dawn on me finally that that's actually quite a lot of years now that we're in 2023. Uh, it doesn't always feel like it, but it, it, that was a while ago <laughs> that I started doing that. It's fair to look back and say, oh, hey, you've been doing this for quite a while. <laughs> like, <laughs> You can maybe think about uh, making some adjustments and changes uh, to come up with something that you're you know, really excited to put out there for people. As always, you can get in touch with us and give us your feedback. I think it was afdradio at gmail.com still should work. Uh, I, I don't check it that often, but I think it forwards to one or both of us. And uh, I think we do still check the Twitter DM for the official account and the Facebook DM inbox feature on the Facebook page. Not like every day, but you know, once a week or so, do take a look in there and see if there's anything. So you can certainly get in touch and say, Hey, here's, I liked this. I didn't like this. I'd like to see more of this, or I guess hear more of this in that case. I can't promise anything, but we'll take it under consideration. And uh, any feedback that we get is, is useful, as we said, because it has been harder to get feedback in the past, I guess it's been six or seven months since, you know, things went a little sideways on at least <laughs> one of those platforms. And Facebook's been a challenge for a long time for uh, sort of other reasons. So anyway, that's our update on that always reluctant to get a little too meta on the air and and talk about the thing itself uh, as we'd rather be just talking about cool history things but we didn't want uh, to suddenly stop releasing new episodes and have people left wondering what was going on with that so don't unsubscribe because there's going to be those bonus uh, unlock episodes from 2021 some of which are really just fantastic work uh, and there's definitely some more of those that we haven't unlocked I think I'm not sure the exact count but we'll at least have some of those and uh, you know stay tuned whatever we decide in the fall I'm sure we will at least put out like a little announcement update mini thing of a few minutes long or something just to let people know what's going on. So, and like I said, I am heading into my third city council race at time of recording. So don't know what that's going to look like. Don't even know yet if I'm going to for sure have an opponent. I have no idea. That's always unpredictable. And uh, so I wanted to at least take a couple months before that sort of is clearly defined and and hopefully get some recharging in and then we'll see from there what that looks like in terms of the effect on the show so thanks again for sticking with us and uh listening and we'll uh see you around and be back when we're back bye <laughs> all right bye <laughs>